Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And I'm going to challenge you to really get to know Matthew 24 because this is where we're going to be for quite a few weeks from here forward. And uh, we're going to be focusing on the last days. Now, as we look around us, if we're really honest, it can be pretty discouraging where you see wars, you see political upheaval, this pandemic, natural disasters, cultural chaos, Division, dissension, moral failure. These are the days we are living in. And through all of that, I would say that one of the most common questions that I get from people in regards to these things is, man, we got to be close, don't we? And my response when anyone comes to me and says that, is is I say, well, we're closer today than we were yesterday. Right? But it's important that we consider what we should expect. And that's why we are going to focus on last days. Now, as a point of clarification, this is not a series on end times. There's a difference. There is a place for that, and it's important we study that. That's why in the book of Revelation, it says, Blessed is he who reads these words in this book. But we're not going to study Revelation in this. We're going to look at last days. And the reason we're going to be looking at last days is because that is what is most applicable to you and me right now. And so my goal in this series is for this to be equipping, but for it also to be encouraging to you as we consider that no matter what's taking place around us, God is still in control and His plan will still come to be. And that you, as a result of that, will grow in your faith. When you look around and you see all that's happening and all that's taking place, But you remind yourself that these are the last days and I know what to expect. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't know what to expect, that's what this series is about. What did Jesus tell us, specifically what did Jesus tell his disciples to expect in the last days? The days leading up to his return and ultimately the days leading up to our final Redemption, which is the hope we look to, at least I pray it is. And ultimately, if you're here today and you're not sure where your hope lies, 
then there, I have one message for you. And that is, Jesus was sent to this earth by the Heavenly Father, God in human flesh, recognizing that we as sinful human beings could not save ourselves. Immersed in our sin, destined to die, a sinner separated from God. And Christ sacrificed Himself on the cross as the payment that was due, not for His sin, for He was sinless, but for our sin as God's created beings made in His image, tainted by our sin. And in Christ's sacrifice, sin was paid for, atoned for. And then Jesus rose from the grave to show that the payment for sin, ultimately death, had no power over God Himself. And in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. Amen? At the end of the day, that is the number one priority for us here. That every person would leave this place hearing the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came that we can have life. And if you do not have confidence in that, that is where you need to sit in your own personal spiritual journey. But if you have confidence in that, our prayer and our hope is that you would be becoming a mature disciple of Christ. That is a mature follower of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Not a mature follower of me. Not a mature follower of your favorite Bible teacher. But a mature follower of Jesus. And we're going to see today why that is so important for us to ultimately fix our eyes on Him as the only source of truth and life for us. So I want to pray and then we're going to jump into, we're actually just going to take a couple of verses a week. And this is good for us because we can learn so much and be challenged by so much just in a couple of verses of Scripture that can be life-giving and equipping to us. So let's pray. Let's commit this time to the Lord and this series to the Lord that He would grow us as His people. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for Your patience, God. We are a stubborn people who are prone to depend fully on ourselves for what only You can bring to be. And so I pray that right here and right now we would uh, recognize our pride, we would recognize our selfishness, we would lay that at Your feet and come humbly before your, You to grow and become mature. Father, ultimately, we pray that this series would be one that equips your church to remain bold and confident through whatever lies ahead in these final days. Lord, for your glory above all else, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Matthew 24, we have what is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. I'm going to give you just a little bit of background before we read these couple of verses. And the Olivet Discourse is rightly titled this as it took place on the Mount of Olives. Hence the name. And 
some might ask, well, where is the Mount of Olives? If I'm making observations and I might go, well, where is this place? And to give you some idea of the significance of this place, the Mount of The Mount of Olives was a mountain with olive groves east of ancient Jerusalem and adjacent to the Temple Mount, the site of significant biblical events, including the triumphal entry of Jesus, his arrest, and ultimately his ascension after he rose from the dead when he ascended to heaven. Significant location. But what happens here is if we look at Matthew 24, verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see, all these do you not. Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So you can picture here Jesus with his disciples leaving the temple, and here's the Mount of Olives, just adjacent to the Temple Mount. And so he travels over there, which was common for Jesus to do. We often have this picture of Jesus always in big crowds, but there's multiple times in Scripture where Jesus removed himself from the people and he went away quietly to a place privately. And specifically here, his disciples, I want to say disciples, his disciples came to him privately and asked him these questions. So we can defer from that or we can uh, deduct from that, that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 24 specifically to who? His disciples, that is followers. Okay, disciples, just a big word for follower, but those who had chosen to follow after Jesus. Now, ultimately, what we're going to look at today is the response to the question, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? We want to know. Does that sound familiar? How many of you have asked that same question? God, when will these things be? Lord Jesus, come quickly. We're eager. We want this to take place. At least if you are a follower of Christ, you should because we see so much division and darkness here. But we believe and trust that this is not all there is. Amen? Now, I want you to understand as we enter into this full discourse that there is several frames of thought as to exactly what Jesus is speaking about in the verses that follow. There are many people who will argue Jesus is only talking about the destruction of the temple that happens in 70 A.D. There are other people who argue that Jesus is referring specifically to the future church age that begins after His ascension, ultimately in the book of Acts. Now, you can make a case either way for this, but understanding Jesus' disciples' question were, one, when will these things be? 
Specifically referring back to Jesus' statement in verse 2, that truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. But there's a second question that they ask. And that second question in verse 3 is, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so for the rest of this series, we are going to approach this from the standpoint that Jesus is talking about both because both questions were asked. That he is both talking about the destruction that is to take place in Jerusalem that he just spoke of in the first couple of verses. But also, he is speaking broadly to all that will take place before he returns again. So, I want to focus our time today specifically on verses 4 and 5 as Jesus begins answering this. And the first thing we're going to see here in Jesus' response is really the exhortation for us to embrace our responsibility to stay on course. There's an application point here. Let's look at verse 4. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. I won't say no one. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now, it's interesting, Jesus begins the answer to this question with an exhortation, with a command. See to it that you do not allow anyone to lead you astray. This is not the only time in Scripture that this is commanded. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes to the church and says, Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says to the church of Colossae, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So the consistent exhortation here is actually in the hands of who? It's in the hands of all of us who make up the church. And one of the great detriments to westernized Christianity is that we so often put the responsibility for keeping us from false teaching in the hands of one individual like myself. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Everyone say dangerous. 
The reason it's dangerous is because the ultimate authority is not one human person. It is the Word of God. And if the Word of God is what is true, and we understand that mankind is intrinsically sinful, well, that means mankind is prone to error. Which means we must come back to a foundation of truth. Whose responsibility is it for us to come back to a foundation of truth? It's all of ours. Jesus' command here to His disciples in Matthew 24, see that no one leads you astray, is an active imperative. That means you do the acting. It's not someone else's responsibility to passively keep you in line. And I will say it, Often to you, church, if you ever hear anything that I am saying or any other teacher is saying up here, you call it out. You speak out. Because what we need to be first is biblical and rooted in truth. And if you hear other people that are speaking falsely, you are responsible To make sure no one leads you astray. Now, there's a second application or understanding as we look at this idea of last days. And that is this. Expect false teachers to come. One of the entities you're going to hear me refer to a lot is, uh, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we see all that's happening around us happening. Why? Because this is exactly what we were told was going to happen. But we don't think about that. And so all we see is we see what's taking place as opposed to what we might think is best. When in reality, none of us know what is truly best. God does. And so as we look at what Jesus is saying, why do you need to make sure, why do you need to see to it that no one leads you astray? Verse 5, for many, everyone say many, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many, everyone say many, they will lead many astray. This is emphasized again in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 24. Where Jesus says, and many, everyone say many, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. See a pattern here? When we look at that, we should go, oh, it's not surprising. We see a false teacher over here, I'm not surprised. Why? Jesus said, this is the way it was going to be. So, I want to equip you this morning as we think about that. Jesus said to make sure we don't, we actively pursue not being led astray. That is rooting into truth. We make sure we do that. But to expect false teachers and a question we may ask is, how do I know if someone is a false teacher? How do I identify a false teacher? And we're going to look biblically. What, what do we see in Scripture that reveals a false teacher? And the first thing we need to ask when we're listening to someone's teaching is, what kind of fruit do they produce? What kind of fruit 
is being produced by this person's teaching. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 19 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I'm to pause here a minute. This is a great description of false teachers, but it is also can be a great description of just sinful people. Where people come and they are in sheep's clothing. Man, look at the look at the little sheep. It's so nice. And then wham! Where did that come from? Sinful man. Sinful people. We shouldn't be surprised, right? But we are. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now notice here, I'm going to call this out, okay church? This is a passage of Scripture that is taken out of context a lot. People take half of verse 16 and they apply it to anyone and everyone. We need to make sure we understand this in context. I'm not saying it can't apply in other circumstances as long as we understand the context here is speaking about false teachers, false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, I want to add to this an understanding here that false teachers will regularly produce bad fruit. We still have to understand that if mankind is sinful, you may find a piece of rotten fruit every here, every so often, right? I will mess up. I will sin because I'm human and I have the same battle with my flesh that you do. Me being in this role up here doing this has no bearing upon some higher level of spirituality, church. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this struggle and this journey. I mourn my sin week in and week out. I have a responsibility to follow Jesus in the same way you do. And that's why it's important to have accountability structures. It's important to be surrounded by community that will call you to be more like Jesus. That's why it's important for us to dive into Scripture ourselves so we know what the fruit we're to be producing should look like. The false prophet is going to regularly produce bad fruit. What does that bad fruit look like? Well, that can kind of be answered by the second question if we're seeking to identify a false teacher. That is, who or what do they worship? Who or what do they worship? In Matthew 24, 5, we saw Jesus say, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. 
and they will lead many astray. Do they worship themselves? Do they worship money? Do they worship status? Do they worship power? Do they worship, you fill in the blank, do they worship anyone but the one true most holy God? First John chapter 2 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one, everyone say no one. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Beloved, do not believe every... This is 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see that they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and, is, and now is in the world already. This is written a long time ago, church. And it still applies today. So, in application, how do we apply these things? Recognizing Jesus' instruction in Matthew 24. Recognizing we should expect false teachers in the last days. Here's the first thing. Be on guard. You and me have an active responsibility to be on on guard. How do we do that? One, know what is true. You will not know what is true unless you pick this up and read it. Unless you sit under solid teaching and grow in it. Know what is true. Secondly, call out what is false with a desire for that, listen to this, for, with a desire for that teacher to come to truth. That's a shift in thinking, isn't it? Not just to call them out and condemn them to hell, but to call them out and ultimately desire that they too would come to a knowledge of the truth. Second application point. This is really important, church. Don't let fear keep you from action. What do I mean? So often we look around us and we become so crippled by fear of what is happening that we isolate ourselves. That we do not actively share the gospel. That we do not actively seek out truth. But we resort back into our little holes and try to protect us. We try to shelter our kids from all that's happening. Church, this is going to be how it is. It's going to get worse, not better, until Jesus comes again. And we need more soldiers who are fighting the good fight of the gospel. Train your children Study the Scriptures. Learn to defend your faith rather than depending on someone else to do it. 
Don't let fear keep you from action. And lastly, don't let discouragement keep you from worship. We can become so discouraged by seeing the falsehood around us. We can become so discouraged by the perception of the world that we actually allow it to hinder our worship before God. And I will say this is the, the entity that I feel like I have seen the most in the season we've been in. Where we're so discouraged and we're so frustrated by all that's going around. And I understand that. And we have a reason to be discouraged and frustrated. But we have even more reason to be the most hopeful, peace-filled people in the world. Because of what Jesus has done for us. So hold fast to truth. Anticipate false teachers. Actively pursue not being led astray. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And uh, we're going to... We're going to sing this last song and chorus... And uh, this is a new song, and so what I want you to do is I just want you to take whatever posture you need to right now in listening to these words. If you want to sing along, do that, but take whatever posture you need to take, whether that's seated, if you want to stand up and just raise your hands, if you just want to pray in this time, And commit yourself to rooting into truth, allowing God to reveal truth to you clearly. Do that. And then, we're going to close with just this this chorus, Glorious, my eyes have seen the glories of the Lord. And I just want us to proclaim that together. Okay, Father, thank you for your grace, for your faithfulness. Lord, we need your help. Pray that you would help us to see clearly when there is false teaching and falsehood around us, that we would call that out, that we would root into truth, that we would be a people that boldly and yet humbly pursues You and everything You've called us to. Equip us now to be the bride of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.